right, here we go. How many Auburn fans we got in the house today? Oh, my goodness, what a great victory yesterday. How many Alabama fans? We still got any Alabama fans in the house? Hey, let me just wish a great congratulations to Auburn. They played a hard game. Amen. Uh, Matthew got a great birthday yesterday. They won on his birthday, so uh, they probably did that all for you, Matthew. And, uh, but anyway, well, here's the most important question today. How many Jesus followers do we got in the house today? Come on. If you screamed louder yesterday for your team than you just screamed for Jesus, you need to get on your feet and let's give the Lord. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Woo. All right. Well, you can take your seat today. Well, we're going to wrap up our series entitled Not a Fan. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the difference between being a fan or being a follower of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 9 has been our foundational scripture. Jesus says this, or the Bible says this about Jesus. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Him. And we recognize that first point on your outline. We said that Christianity, right, Christianity is not about being a fan. Christianity is about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Christianity is about coming out of the stands and getting on the playing field and actually beginning to get in the game, right? How many know that we have been called as believers in Jesus Christ to get in the game? And we recognize that if you're a fan, right, how many of you were yelling and screaming at the TV yesterday? Come on, don't lie. Man, I was yelling and screaming at the TV yesterday. Come on, we were all yelling and screaming at the TV. We were hooping, we were hollering, and we were all irrelevant. We were irrelevant, right? We had no outcome on the game. Our cheers, our shouts, our hoots, our hollers did not dictate, did not change, did not alter the outcome of the game. Not one iota, right? Nothing changed because we were screaming and yelling. As a matter of fact, unless you were in the game, you weren't a part of the game, right? We're a bunch of fans, right? And the reality is, is we didn't win or lose yesterday. Our team won or lost, right? Auburn won. Alabama lost. And we're just fans. It's a lot of fun. It's exciting. Good way to send a, spend a Saturday with some friends and some food, right? I mean, you know you're in Alabama when you eat more food on Iron Bowl Saturday than you did on Thanksgiving Thursday, right? I'm like, man, we were just eating up a galore. It was amazing. We had a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, if you're a fan, you're irrelevant. If you're a fan, you have no outcome on the game. And so we believe without, without all of our heart, according to the Word of God, that Jesus is not calling us to be fans. He's calling us to be followers. He's calling us to get in the game. Why? Because we said a few weeks ago, God doesn't have a second string. Right? There's a jersey with your name on it. There's a position on the field for you to fill and for you to play. God wants you in the game. Every person has a strategic part to play in the work of the body of Christ if we're willing to do our part and get in the game. And so today we're going to kind of wrap this series up, and, and we've been talking about a lot of the differences there, and we've been talking about really kind of answering this one question. So here's kind of the question we've been talking about. What do I have to do to get out of the stands and get in the game? What do I have to do to transition from being a fan that is irrelevant 
to being a follower who becomes a game changer in this thing called Christianity. So we talked about a couple things already. We said, number one, that we have to deal with the sin that keeps us out of the game. And we spent a whole week talking about how sin disqualifies us. Sin keeps us sidelined. Sin keeps us in the stands. And we are spectators because of sin. Why? Because sin keeps us from being engaged in the game that God's called us to play. The second thing we talked about, we looked at last week, we said we have to be joined and knit together. We are connected relationally and spiritually, right? We have to have a relational and a spiritual connection, right? You can't, you can't be a part of the team unless you actually join the team, right? You got to be knit and joined together. We have to be a part of what God is doing. We have to be relational and we have to be spiritually connected through vision and mission that God has called us to. And then we talked about last week also that we also have to, this is really important, right? We have to use our gifts and our talents and we have to work together, right? Because we are counting on each other. We have to fully engage, right? Not only do I have to connect relationally and spiritually, but I actually have to connect physically. I actually have to begin to use my gifts and my talents for the glory of God. We got to begin to work together and recognize that every person on the team is significant and important in what God is calling us to do, right? Every player on the field matters, and every play matters in being a game-changing play as to whether we're going to win or whether we're going to lose in this thing called life. And so today we're going to look at our next point. I want you to see this. We have to be willing. This is really huge. We have to be willing to endure hardships. We have to be willing to endure hardships. You're in the game when you take one for the team. Let me give you a little statement right here. Resistance and opposition are normal Christianity, right? You're not in the game unless you're actually facing an opponent. Think about it. You're not in the game unless you're actually facing an opponent, right? There would not be a game unless there were two teams. And yesterday, Alabama and Auburn lined up against each other. And how many of you recognize when they lined up against each other, they had a goal. They didn't just want to stop, stop the other team. They actually wanted to stomp the other team. Right? It wasn't just about stopping you. We want to stomp you in the ground. Right? We want to win this game. And the reality is, if you're going to get out of the stands and get into the game, you're going to have to be willing to endure hardships. Let me tell you what I know about every player that played in that game yesterday. They all left the game and went and got them a good old ice bath. And they all woke up this morning sore from head to toe. And they got bruises and they got bumps and they got bad shoulders and broken bones and all kind of crazy things, right? Because when you're in the game, you're going to get beat up. When you're in the game, you're going to face opposition, you're going to face resistance, you're going to be hurt, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be disillusioned, you're going to sometimes lose even the game, right? But you recognize that when you're on the team and you're not a fan, that those things are not optional. You can't opt out on injuries. Well, wouldn't that be great if they could sign up and say, hey, I'll play for you if you can promise me I'll never get hurt this year. But you know what happens so many times in our Christian circles? As Christians, we want to opt out. 
We want to opt out on the suffering and the pain and the difficulties and the disappointments and the challenges and the hardships that come with following Jesus. Well, Pastor Keith, do you mean it's hard to follow the Lord? I mean that when you begin to live for Jesus, you automatically begin to go upstream and you get engaged in a game where there are real opponents that are out to stomp you out. Right? We are at war. And let me just tell you something. I heard a guy use this illustration not long ago. He said every sailor, every man that decides he's going to make a living at the sea, he said every sailor knows one thing. He knows that if he stays on the seas long enough, he's going to encounter some storms. Storms are a normal part of a sailor's life. And he said, even if he's never experienced a storm, even if he's never seen a storm, when that new sailor gets on that boat, he said, some of the seasoned sailors are going to tell him, if you stay out here long enough, let me just tell you, we're going to get some storms. Our boat's going to get rocked. We might even think we're not going to survive. And you know what? We may not. We may not. He said, but you know what? It is essential that every sailor understand that if you're going to be a sailor, you're going to encounter storms. Why is that essential? Let me tell you why. I believe one of the greatest disservices that we have done in American Christianity is that we have preached a health and wealth prosperity gospel that removes the hardships and the sufferings of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, let me just table this real quick, and let me say, I believe that the best way to live your life is following Jesus, and I believe God will bless you, and I believe God will prosper you, and I believe God will heal you, and I believe God will deliver you, and I believe God will rescue you. I believe God is in favor of your victory, right? And I believe He's fighting for your victory. He wants you to be blessed on the way in. He wants you to be the head, not the tail, the top, not the bottom, the first, and not the last. But I also want you to understand that if you live for Jesus, there are going to be hardships, and there are going to be difficulties, and there are going to be challenges. Why? Because you and I are living in a world that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's just think about something for a minute. Jesus was perfect. Right? Jesus lived a perfect life, and Jesus suffered hardships. And Jesus suffered disappointments, and Jesus suffered harassment, and Jesus suffered betrayal, and Jesus suffered rejection, and ultimately Jesus suffered the cross, and ultimately Jesus suffered until he gave his life. And Jesus was perfect. So you tell me that a perfect Savior lived a perfect life, and he endured hardships, and somehow me and you are going to weather this thing called life without experiencing any storms. Now, I said a moment ago, I believe one of the greatest disservices we have done in modern-day Christian, uh, modern-day American Christianity is that we have exemplified only one side of Christianity. We've exemplified the fact that God wants to bless you. Yes, that is true. But there is an enemy in a world that wants to stomp you out. And if you don't understand that, this is what happens. This is what the guy said. He said, if a sailor doesn't understand there's going to be storms, then when the storm comes, he'll jump ship. But if the sailor understands there's going to be storms, when the storms come, the sailor doesn't jump ship. He hunkers down. (laughs) He holds on. He presses in. He mans his station. He says, I got to do what I got to do to keep this ship afloat, right? How many know we got a lot of people jumping ship today? 
We're jumping ship on our marriages. We're jumping ship on our relationships. We're jumping ship on our financial responsibilities. We're jumping ship on the church. Why are people jumping ship? They're jumping ship because nobody told them there was going to be a storm. Nobody told them that when they did the right thing, sometimes when you do the right thing, you're going to suffer from wrong people. Sometimes when you do the right thing, not everything's going to work out the way you want it to work out. And sometimes you're going to do everything you're supposed to do, and it's not still going to happen the way you wanted it to happen. I mean, let's be honest, right? Doesn't that happen? Hadn't you done the right thing and suffered wrongly? Hadn't you done everything you knew to do and it still didn't work out the way you wanted it to work? Hadn't you prayed every prayer you knew to pray and your prayer still didn't get answered? Why? Let me give you why. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. I'm going to jump down to 2 Timothy, and then we're going to come back up to Hebrews 12. The Apostle Paul says this, 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Every player in that game yesterday knew they were risking a chance to get hurt. And they were willing to do it. As a matter of fact, when they took them in that little tent, y'all know that little tent they had on the side over there and they take the injured players in there? Let me tell you, I wasn't in that tent, but let me tell you what every player was doing. Put me back in the game, put me back in the game, put me back in the game. Bandage me up, tie me up, pump me up, do whatever you got to do to get me back in that game. Why? Because they knew when you're in the game, sometimes you get hurt. And they did not allow their pain to cause them to run from the game. But too many Christians are running from the game because they get hurt, they get disappointed. Welcome to the family. Right? Welcome to the family. Think about your natural family. Have you ever been hurt in your natural family? Have you ever had somebody say something to you you wish they hadn't have said to you? Have you ever been offended by somebody in your family? Have you ever had things happen by other people in your family that hurt you and caused you pain and caused you grief? Did you bail on your family? Not if you got guts, you didn't. Not if there's something in you that says, hey, we're in this thing for better or for worse, for sickness or in health, in long haul, till death do us part. Hey, we're fighting for our families. Let me tell you something. You stay connected to the church long enough, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get disappointed, you're going to get disillusioned. Things are not always going to go your way. Why? Because you're in the game. You think every play that happened went exactly the way every player wanted it to go yesterday? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You think they walked away with some disappointments? You bet they did. Were they disheartened? You bet they were. I wonder how many of those players got up today and threw down their helmet and said, I'm never going to play football again. I'm never walking on another field. None of them. None. Not one. Not one Alabama player that lost yesterday got up today, threw down his helmet, and said, I'm never getting on the field. No, they're praying God put us in that final four so we can beat Auburn. I tell you, that's what they're doing. They're praying, God, get us back on the field. Why? Because they understand. They understand that when you get in the game, you got to be willing to take one for the team. You've got to be willing to endure hardships. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face challenges. You're going to face difficulties. Well, Pastor Keith, are you trying to scare us? No, I'm trying to prepare us. 
I'm trying to prepare us for the reality of life. If you're a fan, then when hardship comes, you walk away, right? Some of you were blessing your team and cursing your team yesterday, right? Right? We're opting out, right? How many play, people I heard, I can't tell you how many people I heard say, well, I can't even watch the game. I just can't even watch the game. How many of you know there wasn't one player on the Alabama-Auburn team that decided, that was sitting there yesterday morning thinking, well, am I going to opt out on the game today? I'm not really sure if I want to go, not really sure if I want to play. No, no, they, they didn't have the option to opt out. Fans opt out. Fans opt out on prayer. Fans opt out on worship. Fans opt out on evangelism. I mean, think about that for just a minute. Everybody in here is here today not going to hell because somebody told you about Jesus. Everybody in here today is in here today not going to hell because somebody told you about Jesus, and then you want to opt out on evangelism and let the preacher do it. Well, I don't want to tell my coworkers about Jesus. They're kind of mean. Right? My family won't listen to me. I want to tell you something. You don't have the option to opt out. If you're a fan, opt out. Enjoy hell, but opt out. But if you're in the game, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, opting out's not an option. I can't opt out on serving God. I can't opt out on being connected to the church. I can't opt out on tithing and giving. I can't opt out. I'm in the game. And it's going to cost me something, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard, and there are going to be challenges, and there's going to be moments that I am going to want to quit. But I'm in the game. I ain't going to quit. I'm in the game, right? So you got to understand. Look at Hebrews 12. I want you to see this. Hebrews 12 is awesome. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith. He's just summed up Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's just talked about all these people. Listen to this. He just talked about all these people whom the Bible says died without receiving the promise. They died in faith without ever putting their hands on what they were really fighting for. And now they are in heaven, a great cloud of witnesses. Right? And we are surrounded, he says, by this great cloud of witness. Now look what he says. Therefore, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Sounds like he says we've got to deal with sin, doesn't it? And let us run with endurance. Run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We've got to run with endurance. Why do we got to run with endurance? Because if you don't endure to the end, you won't be saved. Amen. You've got to endure to the end. That's what Jesus said. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Those guys yesterday, when they got hurt, when they got banged up, when they got beat up, they weren't looking for an opportunity to get out of the game. They were looking for an opportunity to get back in the game. Put me back in, coach. Put me back in, coach. We got to endure. I'm just going to tell you right now, endurance wins the race. I just decided a long time ago, I'm going to wear the devil out. I'm going to wear him out. I want somebody to ask the devil, how you doing today? I want him to say, I'm just wore out trying to keep up with that 
Pastor Keith over there. He's just wearing me down. Liberty Church is wearing me down. Wearing me down. Right? Fourth quarter's ours, right, guys? Come on, we're going to finish. We're going to finish strong. We're going to finish hard. We're going to press in. We're not going to let up. You don't get to the fourth quarter and say, hey, now let's take it easy. No, you get to the fourth quarter and you press harder than you've ever pressed. Because they that endure, right? So let us endure. Look what he says. So endure, run the race with endurance. Look at verse 2. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know what's interesting? All throughout the game yesterday, you notice Alabama and Auburn, the whole team, Kept looking to the sidelines, right? Quarterback, running back, whole, everybody, line, everybody. They're always looking over to the side, looking over the side, looking over the side. The only time they look to the fans is when they score a touchdown they want to celebrate. But when they're in the midst of the battle, they're not looking to the fans. They're looking to their coach. Right? They're looking to their coach for instruction. They're looking for their coach for direction. They're looking for their coach for inspiration. Right? Fans are just good for celebration. Right? You look at the fans after you scored the touchdown. You look at the coach while you're in the heat of the game. Why? Because they know that it is when they keep their eyes fixed on the play caller, they're going to be all right. And the Bible says we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, when you start looking at the storm and stop looking at Jesus, your boat begins to sink. Right? We all know the story of Peter walking on the water. And the Bible says as he was walking on the water that he saw the winds and the waves that they were boisterous. And immediately he began to sink. Why? Because he took his eyes off Jesus. And we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We got to remember who we're fighting for, what we're fighting for. The glory of God, guys, is what we're fighting for. Amen? Keeping our eyes on Jesus because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. How many are glad Jesus endured the cross? How many are glad fourth quarter Jesus didn't get off the cross and say, I don't think it's worth it? Aren't you glad that he did not walk away at the end of the game? Aren't you glad that he finished the game? Aren't you glad he went all the way? Aren't you glad he endured what he endured so we could win? He disregarded its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Look at verse 3. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. You think you've had it rough? Think about Jesus. Think about what he endured. Think about what he suffered. Again, he lived a perfect life without sin. And yet he suffered hostility, disappointments, setbacks, attacks, opposition, and resistance, and ultimately death. Look at verse 4. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Jesus went all the way. 
when we endure, right, if you're going to get in the game, you're going to have to take one for the team. You're going to have to be willing to face an opponent. You're going to have to be willing to endure hardship. Man, it's, it's, there's challenges and difficulties. But how many of you know the Scripture says there's also joy? For the joy set before him, right? Jesus was fighting for something and for the joy that was set before him. Temporal discomfort is going to pale in the light of eternal glory as we enjoy the splendor of what God has promised us. Let's look at our next point. I want you to see this. So we have to be willing to endure hardships. The last one, number five, we have to be willing to die to self. This is the pinnacle of what it means to follow Jesus. This is the pinnacle of what it means to follow Jesus. If you want to be a follower, you have to be willing to die, willing to die to self. You're in the game when you realize it's not about you. In John chapter 12, I want you to see this. Jesus said this. He said, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. It's time for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Well, I wonder how he's going to do that. How, Jesus, are you going to enter your glory? Look at verse 24. He tells us how. I tell you the truth, unless the kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus said it's time for me to enter my glory. How am I going to enter my glory? I'm going to die. Not just physically die, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to die to himself. Which is really the greatest death. It's the death that we have an opportunity to die on a daily basis. Right in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember what Jesus prayed? He said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, God, but your will. Not what I want, but what you want. See, we've got a shift in this country. In America, we, we've got this idea, right, and we talk about you need a vision for your life and a vision for life, and that's true. You do need a vision for your life. But I want you to understand, I believe we need more than a me vision. I believe we need a we vision. I believe we need a we vision. We need to get a vision of what God has called us to do corporately. We need to get a big picture reality. It's not about me. It's not about me. And if what you want is more important than what the team needs, let me say that again. If what you want is more important than what the team needs, if it's more important than what your family needs, if it's more important than what your job needs, if it's more important than what the church needs, then guess what happens? You stay in the stands. If what you want is more important than what the team needs, then you're not going to get in the game. When you think about some of the greatest athletes of all time, the greatest athletes of all time, yes, they were superstars, they were heroes in their own right, but you know what? At the end of their game, they matured from being a rookie that was a superstar to being a legend. And you know what happens usually in that transition from being a rookie who's a superstar to playing for many years and becoming a legend? They go from being all about me to all about we. And all of a sudden, they become team players. And all of a sudden, they begin to recognize it's not about just increasing my personal stats, 
because it's not enough if I reach my personal accomplishments and we lose. <laughs> so what if you had more yards than you've ever had before? Your team lost. Oh, but I had great personal uh, success. I want to tell you something. Personal success is overranked and overrated. You want something, you really want to be happy about something? Let me tell you something. Every parent knows this. Let your family succeed. A whole lot more joy than you. You get a whole lot happier when you're a mom or dad over your family's success than over you do your success. And then I heard, I hadn't done this yet, I heard if your grandparent even goes even bigger. Right? But here's the reality. When you are in the game, you realize it's not about you. And I got to be willing to die to myself. See, when you come to know Christ, you no longer have a life to live. The Bible says you've been bought with a price and you are no longer your own. It's not your life. You don't have a life to live. God purchased you. Jesus paid the price for your life. He now has the title deed to your life. And so you know what I decided a long time ago? I decided I'm going to line my will up with God's will and my one up with God's one. Because then it seems like I'm getting my way. Right? I just want to do what God wants me to do, and I want to live like God wants me to live, and I want to be the person God wants me to be. Whatever that requires, whatever that costs, whatever, whatever that demands of me, that's the person I want to be. I want to be the person God has called me to be. And guess what? When I line my will up with God's will, I always get my way. But as long as my will is contradictory to the will of God, and I, I am unwilling to die to myself, not only do I lose, but we lose. My family loses. My church loses. Our community loses. Well, Pastor Keith, that's because you're the pastor. No, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a part of the body of Christ. And my part's not more important than your part. Right? My part's not more important than your part. And how selfish it is of us to get so consumed with what we want. We have a consumer-based mentality. In the American church, well, I want a church that meets all my needs. Why don't you become a church that meets other people's needs? Right? Make your church the church you want it to be. Make your church the church you want it to be. Why well, wish our church prayed more? Then pray more. I wish our church worship more, then worship more. I wish our church evangelized more, then evangelize more. I wish our church did this and did that, did this and did that, then do that. Right? Make this church, if this is your church, the church you want it to be. Well, Pastor Keith, I don't like every decision y'all make. Welcome to the family. Let me tell you how we make decisions. We make decisions based off our vision, and we make decisions based off our mission. We're here to reach out and raise up. We're here to win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. That's how we make decisions. Something's interesting in that. We don't talk anything about worship style in our vision or our mission statement. Because see, worship style in modern-day America is so important, right? We have three services. We have three types of worship because we want to create options for people. But at the end of the day, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him and them. And everything we do 
from our worship styles to the length of our services to the times of our services, we do so we can reach out and raise up so we can win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. Well, I don't know if I like it. That's okay. Be a part of it. Be a part of it. Make the church the church you want it to be. I wish we did more of this. Do more of that. Right? Nobody's telling you not to pray. Nobody's telling you not to worship. Nobody's telling you not to give. Nobody's telling you not to serve. Nobody's telling you not to reach out. Nobody's telling you not to do any of those things. As a matter of fact, get around me long enough, and I'll give you something to do. It's a local joke around here, right? People say, if you got an idea, don't tell Pastor Keith about it, or he'll ask you to do it. Exactly. God put the mail in your mailbox. You got a great idea? Wonderful. Do it. You got a great vision? Wonderful. Fulfill it. You got a great heartbeat? Wonderful. Run after it. Why? Because we have to be willing to put the team in front of ourselves. And here's what's awesome. When the team wins, we all win. Right? When the church advances, not just Liberty Church, when the local churches here in Arab, when they advance and God does something good in one of our local churches, you know what happens? We all win. Well, Pastor Keith, I don't know why all these churches are coming to Arab. Because there's lost people here. There's lost people here. Well, our town's small. Well, when we reach them all, they'll stop coming. Until we reach them all, God loves people. He loves people more than he loves our little church. God loves people. God wants to see people saved, set free, and made whole. God wants to see people reached out to and raised up into their full potential in Christ. God wants to see people come to know him, be discipled in him, and, and kick the devil's tail on a daily basis and walk in victory over the enemy. And God's going to do whatever he has to do to make that happen. And if we need 10,000 churches in a, in a community full of 8,000 people, then so be it. What are we going to do about it? We're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. Amen. We're going to get in the game. Yeah. Right? Get in the game. Get in the game. Let's look at our last thought. Our last thought's our first thought. Christianity is not about being a fan. It's about being a follower. I have to be willing to die to self. I have to be willing to suffer hardships. It's a part of Christianity. Well, Pastor Keith, I didn't know that. Well, you are now without excuse. You're without excuse. I'm sorry I messed you up for the rest of your life. <laughs> the next time you get offended, the next time you get hurt, the next time something happens in church that you don't like, you just got to say, well, Pastor Keith said it'd be like this. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to jump ship. I'm going to press in because I'm on a team. And we're doing something that matters. Amen? Every week lives are being changed. I, I don't know if you know this, guys, and we do a poor job of, of really conveying this. We try, and we're going to keep trying. Every week people are being saved. Every week people are being set free. Every week God is healing and restoring and reviving. I mean, every week, literally every day, something is happening supernatural in the kingdom because of you. Because we're in the game. And it's not one person. It's not one player. 
It's not one ministry. It is the corporate effort of the body of Christ coming together. And every single day, God is moving supernaturally, supernaturally to change people's lives. Over 500 people last year committed or recommitted their life to Christ through the ministries of Liberty Church. Over 500 people. Over 500 people committed or recommitted their life to Jesus. We're seeing people every day experience God. Why? Because somebody made a decision to get in the game. I want to encourage you today, if you're not in the game, get in the game. Refuse to be a fan. Refuse to just cheer, scream, hoop, and holler. That's all fun, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. It's what we do when we leave here that changes things. It's what we do in our Monday through Saturday that changes the outcome of Christianity. Oh, we have a small window on Sunday morning to touch people with the gospel, but every day you and I are rubbing shoulders with people that don't know Jesus. Every single day and how we live and how we act and how we represent Jesus matters to a lost and a dying world. And they need somebody that says, you know what, I'm going to endure hardship and I'm going to die to myself if I have to do, if that's what I have to do in order to win the game, to see people come to know Jesus. How do I do that, Pastor Keith? Well, we've made a real simple path. We call it our connection track. It's four weeks. Four weeks on Sunday morning during the 11 o'clock service. Four weeks, follow Jesus. Understand the vision, the mission of this church because you need to know who we are because you can't buy into what you don't know about. And we're going somewhere. There's a clear vision. There's a clear direction. We are on purpose. We're not showing up having church. It's not what we're doing. We are strategically moving this battleship toward the purpose and the plan that God has for us. And we are advancing the kingdom on a daily basis. That's what we're doing. And then we're going to help you discover your gifts and your talents. We want you to know how God has shaped you for life and ministry. And then we want to connect you to one of our dream teams, one of our ministries here at the church where you can begin to use your gifts and your talents to make a difference. Because we have an opportunity every week and we have an opportunity every day to touch people with the hope of the gospel. But until you get in the game, nothing happens. Here's a good question. When's the last time you told yourself no so you could tell God yes? When's the last time you said no to your flesh, no to your wants, no to your desires so you could do something you knew God had called you to do? And when's the last time you suffered for the sake of the gospel? Not for doing the wrong things. See, we're really good at suffering for doing the wrong things. How many know when they call your touchdown back because the play clock ran out, that's nobody's fault but your own? We suffer many times because of our own choices and our own decisions, and then we want to blame other people. But when's the last time you suffered because you were taking one for the team? Because you were in the game? that helped somebody else make a touchdown. And they didn't call your name, they called his name. They didn't talk about that block, they talked about that run. But you were there. Man, I want to make a way for other people to score, amen?
I want to make a way for other people to win. How about you? Let's just bow our heads this morning. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never gotten in the game. And maybe you're standing on the outskirts this morning and you're like, Pastor Keith, man, this, this kind of sounds crazy and hardships and suffering and difficulty. But in your heart of hearts, you know that what you've heard this morning is true. And you know that life is difficult. That's not a secret. You know there's hardships and there's challenges and there's difficulties. But here's the good news of the gospel. When you choose to follow Jesus, you never have to walk through the storm alone. And the one that captains our ship is the Lord of the winds and the waves. And our God is able to say, peace be still. And he's there with us every single step of the way. And he's calling you this morning to follow him, not just in the good times, but in the bad times. <clears throat> he's calling you to make a commitment, not a decision, not a decision that says I'm going to pray a prayer, but a commitment that says I'm going to give my life to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never made that decision, but today I want to follow Jesus. Today I want to ask God to forgive me of my sins, because there are many, and become my Lord and my Savior and lead me into the future that He has for me. Today I want to commit my life to follow Jesus and ask Him to save me and be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want you just to stand up, just bold this morning. I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be a, I want to, I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be a fan. I don't want to stand on the outside and look in. I want to follow Jesus. I want to commit my life to Him. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I want to follow Christ. Right now, this is your opportunity just to stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith. Today, I want to stand. I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower. Because here's a harsh, cold reality, guys. Everybody's following somebody. You're either following God to a wonderful place called heaven or you're following the enemy to a, wonderful, to a horrible place called hell. And there is no in-between. There is no neutral zone. You're going to spend eternity somewhere, and who you choose to follow will determine where you spend eternity. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus and truly commit your life to him, I want to give you just another second just to stand to your feet and say, today, today I want to follow Jesus. For those of you that are here, most of us in this room here today, you're, you're already following him. I want to ask you a really important question. Are you fully in the game? Have you become discouraged? Have you allowed hurt, injuries, and setbacks, and disappointments to take you out of the game? Have you walked away? Have you thrown down your helmet? I want to encourage you today, today, let's re-engage. Let's re-engage, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Let's re-engage to be followers of Jesus Christ. Let's represent Him. Let's be willing to say no to ourselves and yes to God so that we can advance the team. So, Father, I pray today for every believer here in this room today. I pray for every person that has made a commitment to follow you. God, let us get in the game today. Lord, whether that's as simple as going through a connection track and finding a place to serve here in the church, 
or whether it's just stepping up the game that we're already in. Lord, already playing, but we're just not giving it our best. Lord, I pray today that you would heal the hurts and the disappointments that have come. Lord, I thank you that you are our healer. And you do mend up the brokenhearted. So God, mend our hurts and our pains. Equip us, empower us, and restore us so we can run hard after you. God, let us see what we're fighting for. For your glory and for the soul's of men. And may our hearts be stirred today as we worship you, serve you, and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. I want to remind you, if you're visiting with us today, uh, back through the doors to my left in the first-time guest area, I'd love to meet you. We have a gift we'd love to give you today. God bless you. You are dismissed.